Oh, the places we'll go. You'll notice that's the theme of our series that we're in. And we gave you these fancy little balloons that you can literally take with you all the places that you'll go this summer. And we want to invite you to do that and to like take pictures of yourself. Some of you are selfie happy. This is not a... <laughs> This is not a stretch for you, but just put this in the photo and then we can celebrate, you know, whether you're in Spain or whether you're at, you know, Bella Terra. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate you just the same and, and take this with you. It's a fun way for us to, uh, to just see where people in our church are going and spending their summers. I am going to be leaving uh, this next week and going to Washington uh, for what our church generously provides for my, my family and I, which is a, a short study break. And on that study break, we go up to Washington because that's where Hillary is from. And when her mom passed, she left Hillary and her brother this cute little simple beach house up there on Lake Bay. And so we're going to go and have some peaceful rest, some family time. Also, uh, pr praying and trying to hear God's voice for this coming year and for all the things that are coming up for our church. So if you would, remember us uh, and, and pray for us. I will be praying for you. And I will also be excited for you because these next few weeks uh, are going to be great right here. Next week in particular, I'm really excited about uh, Graham's message. I've been talking, uh, he and I have been talking about it, and it's going to be awesome. So make sure that you're here next Sunday for one of these services. As we continue in this series, Oh, the Places We'll Go. Did you know that our series is inspired by a Dr. Seuss book? Did you know that this Dr. Seuss book is the best-selling uh, graduation gift of all time. Still to this day, uh, it's, the, it's the most given graduation gift to uh, kindergartners through PhDs. Uh, so if you don't have one, you might want to look into it. It's pretty, it's pretty sweet. Here's a photo. Uh, but I want to read you just a couple of highlights from Oh, the Places You'll Go, this Dr. Seuss book. It starts off by saying, Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head and feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Then skipping some pages, it says, Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll, see, you'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers and soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be best of the best. Wherever you go, you'll top all the rest. Except when you don't because sometimes you won't. <laughs> the genius of Dr. Seuss. I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. Right? And then he goes into talking about how it's still going to be great and life's going to be great and you're going to be fine. But isn't that wisdom from a children's book to say, you're going to go and do great things. And some things are not going to be great. Some things are going to be a real struggle. Some things are going to be really painful. Some things are going to be disappointing. And such is life. And you know that. You've experienced that. If you're past 25, you've had some hard things happen to your life. Even if you're 15, you maybe have hard had some hard things happen in your life. And that's what this series is about. That the, that the distance between A and B on our journey is not always a straight line and it's not always up and to the right. That sometimes things are difficult and all over the place. Last week we talked about Mephibo, Mephibosheth, and how his journey was just that way. It started really great 
And then things got sideways for him, and he was this forgotten prince in obscurity until King David came and redeemed his life and brought him into the castle and made him part of the family in this incredible story. If you missed that last Sunday, listen to it online. Grab the podcast. It's an encouraging, encouraging story from Scripture. We talked about how the story, the inspiration that David provide, provides reminds us to do for one what we wish we could do for many to accept and receive our invitation to the table, but then to be those who extend the invitation to others. Today we're talking about a more famous central character than Mephibo. Uh, We're talking about Moses. And we're talking about one specific story from the Old Testament in the famous book of Exodus uh, that is often kind of glanced over, but I think it's important for us to consider this summer as we approach and kind of full swing into summer before we get to the fall. The story of Exodus, the book of Exodus, is the central kind of linchpin book of the Old Testament for any Jewish person. This is, their, this is their manifesto, this is their book, this is what they point to, and they say, this is how God redeemed us. He set us free and he rescued us. So I want to highlight a little bit of it, summarize it just a little bit, and then go into the particular story that we're going to look at this morning. You know, even if you've never been here before and if you've never read the Bible, you still probably know because it's been in some major blockbuster movies that the Israelites are captives in Egypt under the thumb of Pharaoh. And then Moses, God sends Moses to come in and say, let my people go. No more of this slavery. It's time for us to leave. And there's this series of incredible events, unlikely events, All these plagues, these miraculous signs and wonders culminating with a parting of a massive body of water standing up on both sides like walls as the Jewish nation walks through on dry ground. And once they reach the other side, then the walls of water come crashing down and wipe out the Egyptians. Crazy story. And then in Exodus chapter 13, we read this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the desert toward the Red Sea. How many of you can relate to feeling like you've been led on a roundabout way that I wanted to go here, and maybe, maybe one day I'll get there, or maybe I've given up on even getting there. But in the meantime, I'm just all over the place. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm, I'm over here. I'm over there. I'm zigzagging. I'm going downwards. This is chaos. And you can know from the history of humanity and from the story of God that that is normal. And that even in the midst of the roundabout, windy journey that doesn't feel purposeful, that there is purpose, that God has a bigger plan, that he's right in the middle of it, that he knows what he is doing. Now, after he leads the people through the Red Sea and they get to the other side, they're so pumped like you'd be if you had walked through dry ground and then saw the sea close in behind you. And they celebrate and they sing songs and they, they make a big deal about this good God. But then things turn very quickly. This is from uh, after the fact. Moses, or Exodus 14, Exodus 15. Then Moses led the people of Israel away 
from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days. Notice, three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Three days of being thirsty. Now, you've probably never you know, not had water for three days. I don't know. Uh, you would be really, really thirsty, and it would kind of make you panic. But if you had just seen all those crazy miracles, if you had just seen the Red Sea part, this massive body of water, and then a million, two million plus people walk through on dry land, and then the waters close in behind them on their enemies. If you had just seen that with your own eyes, you would think that maybe you would have a different perspective and that maybe you would think this God who just did all this crazy stuff can be trusted. Why would he bring us out of there if not to provide for us here, right? But they start freaking out after three days of being thirsty and they turn on Moses and they doubt God and they say, I don't know why we're here, why this would happen to us. And eventually they start talking about wanting to go back to Egypt, wanting to go backwards. I mean, it's crazy. And yet it's human because you and I do a similar thing. We forget. We have a propensity to forget. And we forget quickly. It would have been so easy for these Israelites to recall back, to think back, and to just say, look at how God, he, we, here's what we know about God. He hears our prayers, because we've been praying for a long time. He hears our prayers. He showed up. He sent Moses. And here's what we know. He loves to rescue. He loves to rescue. Look how he's just rescued us. He's a God who rescues. Okay, so we can count on that. They could have remembered that, that he was all-powerful, like even the most powerful human that they had ever heard of or thought existed, the Pharaoh, he was no match for their God. He had nothing to stand up against this God. And they could have relied on that power and strength, but they forget. What about you? What are you forgetting? If you look back on your own journey, on your own life, what are you forgetting? That he's already done. That he's been so faithful already to this point. You can't obsess about the future and where you're going and oh, the places will go without first pausing just for a moment to reflect on where you've already been and how he's been there with you. I put in your outline just this simple little chart, this little line that says where you've been, and then underneath the line, God has. Would you just take a quick moment, a few seconds, and just reflect to yourself? If you have a pen, write things down. If you don't, just keep them in your head. Given your journey and where you have been personally, what can you say about God? God has been faithful. God has always been there. God has heard my cry. God has shown up when I needed him most. God has not left me alone. God has provided in the nick of time. God has given me blessing after blessing. 
Even when we thought this couldn't happen, it happened. God has, God has, God has. Take a moment and reflect and be grateful and remember today that God is faithful. And then consider God is right here and now. Based on what you know of his faithfulness, what can you stand on for right now? God is with me. God is right in the middle of this. God is aware of my pain. God is here to help with my anxiety about the future. God is, God is, God is. And then as you look to the future and where you're going, you can have the confidence now to say God will. God will come through. God will always be there. God will show up. God will give me strength. God will bless me still. God will get us through. God will provide. Let this be a moment, but let this be a summer of remembering. Because we as humans are prone to forget. Not just then, thousands of years ago, and the people in the desert, but now we have a tendency to forget. And when we get uncomfortable, if only for three days, it's like we have amnesia. And we can't remember that this God is all-powerful and that he is trustworthy. Now, if you're here, and you're someone who's like, I'm not really sure I even believe that. I'm here investigating, checking out, or because I got dragged here, but I'm not sure that I believe that that's even true. Great, wonderful. I'm so glad that you're here. This is going to be a really interesting message for you because I believe that what we're going to talk about, what we're going to see that happens to Moses, this most famous leader in the history of the Jewish nation, what we're going to see in his life is going to be relevant to you. You might just find in this story that you relate and that this is one of, the, one of the biggest reasons why you haven't felt like you've needed God up until this point. So it's a great morning for you to be with us. In this story, Moses has led the people out of Egypt like we've talked about. They're in the desert and he's managing this incredible, huge nation of people. It's like half, a little bit more than half of the people who live in Orange County. I mean, it's, it's a ton of people, and they're making their way through this desert. And, and Moses is in charge, and he's trying to meet all their needs and care for the people. And in the middle of this chaos, remember, they're, they're kind of on this windy, aroundabout journey, not a straight line. And in the middle of it, Moses gets a visit. His wife and his kids have been with his father-in-law, and they come to visit him. And father-in-law comes to. His name's Jethro. Exodus chapter 18 says, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other, like he did. They waited before him from morning till evening. Verse 14, When Moses' father-in-law, which is Jethro, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? 
Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Jethro says, this is not good, Moses. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. Now, let's pause here really quickly because this is an important thing to note. A lot of us think that when we're running ourselves ragged, that it's just about us. That when we're running at a pace that's not healthy, when we're just going above and beyond, and we got to get this thing done, and we, when we need to justify this because of the way that we're working or because of what needs to happen and all this, we think it's just about us. It's never just about us. There's always a ripple effect, especially with your family, but also with everybody in your immediate surrounding of community. It impacts everyone when you run yourself crazy and when you get out of balance. He goes on, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, Moses, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but then have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. Then they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all of these people will go home in peace. In other words, you're trying to do too much. You're making this too much about you. Moses, perhaps, perhaps you're forgetting just a little bit about who's actually God because it's not you. You can't do all of this stuff. Now, Neil, would you come up here for a second? I thought, uh, let's just demonstrate what's happening here with a little bit of a, a picture. Uh, Neil is, is a very athletic man, uh, and, and I thought he would, be, he would be perfect to help you see uh, what's happening here in, in honor of FIFA and international corruption, we thought we would have these, these as, the, as the case study here. So, Neil, I'm just going to have you um, hold these. And these represent all the stuff that you do because you're a busy guy. You have a family and you have uh, and a growing community. You make friends really quickly. And, and there's just a lot of stuff. As the community life pastor of our church, there's lots of expectations uh, that we're counting on. And when you meet 50 new people on the patio, uh, you, yeah, you need, <laughs> they're counting on you to get them plugged in. <laughs> Let's try that one again. Uh, they're, they're counting on you to get plugged in at our church. And if you don't follow up on that email, and if you don't, <laughs> that's two down. Um, <laughs> how many, uh, should, we tr should, should we let them keep trying? Should we give them some more? You think that this is, this is, okay. There's one, Neil. There's, there's, and there we go. Thank you, Neil. 
That's what we do, though. We cheer and get excited about people who are killing themselves. And it's actually even more entertaining if he falls off the stage and hurts himself, right? <laughs> I mean, our culture is built around praising the insane, the people that think that they can do everything, the people that think that they can run at this clip for months at a time, and we think, yeah, that's heroic, you're a stud, give me some productivity tips, right? I mean, that's what we praise. And maybe you're wired a little bit like that, like I am, and we get intoxicated by the fact of thinking that we can do that. There's some of you already, a lot of you, who are thinking, I could have caught way more than Neil did. (laughs) I wish that Caleb would bring me up there and I could show him that every one of those balls would be accounted for, whether it's feet, neck, or whatever, right? Because there's something about it. We want to prove that we can do it, that we can be the guy, that we can be the girl. We're Superman. We're, we're Wonder Woman. We can get it done. We can get it all done. And even Moses fell into that trap. This great leader in history, even he, the way that he forgot about God's faithfulness is that he started trying to be God. And he's tried to take on the, the burden of all of these people. And his father-in-law graciously And in a helpful way, comes to him and says, it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it can't go on like this. You're going to kill yourself, and it's negatively impacting all these other people too. You've got to stop. So I want to look at a few characters from this story. Moses, number one, being the point person. For Moses, the lesson is less is more. Moses, less is more. Not only are you going to burn out and kill yourself, but you're actually not giving the people your best because you're exhausted all the time, because your mind's not sharp, because you're focused on this scattering of things instead of just the most important things. So the lesson for us this summer and this morning is to do what's essential for you and empower others to play their role. Do what's essential for you and then empower others to play their role. I'm reading a really good book called Essentialism. It's a good book written by a good guy. And in it, there's this great quote. It says, there are no solutions, just trade-offs. Some of you are looking for a solution how to catch all of those soccer balls. Some of you are looking for a solution how you can get it all done. A solution to how you can just squeeze more into the 24-hour period than the average person. And productivity tip after productivity tip. I'm all for those things. And yet... It's not about solutions. At the end of the day, it's about trade-offs. And some of you are wasting a lot of time doing things that are not essential, that are not the most important things. The wrong question is, how can I do it all? A better question is, how can I empower others? What can I empower others to do? And what's most essential for me? Remembering that you are not God that he is faithful, he's the one that got you here in the first place and he will get you there. You cannot do it all. You're trying to do too much and it's not the most important things. A couple of practical examples. I've been talking to people about it this week and, and uh, Hillary and I went to a party at some friend's house not too long ago and it was a party of just family and some close friends and we went to the house and it was this big celebration and yet we got there at the time we were supposed to get there, about five minutes after that, in fact, and nothing was set up. 
And you walk in, we walked in, and there was this tension in the air. She was mad at him, he was mad at her, and it was, you could cut the tension with a knife. And nothing was prepared, and the table wasn't set, and the food wasn't out. And the big blow-up toy that the kids were going to play on wasn't blown up. And it was, it was awkward. And then more people started to show up. And you know what? None of us had anything. Hillary had asked, people had offered, but they didn't let us do anything. And so when we got there, nothing was done. And they were burning themselves out, and they were angry at each other. And dinner was an hour and a half late, and things were crazy. And it was... It was craziness. It really was. You, you, you've been there, right? I mean, you've seen this kind of thing happen. Maybe this happened to you yesterday. I mean, this is a normal deal. And what could have happened was they could have just simply asked people to play this role. Hey, could you bring the decorations and do the thing? Could you get, just get here 10 minutes early and blow up the things, the big toy? And Hillary, could you make your famous cookies? Because those are incredible. And uh, uh, Caleb, you're really great at setting the mood. Could you stand in the corner and beatbox? Because that's <laughs> uh, obviously my best contribution. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't invite any of that, and so it, it just didn't work. And it didn't work for any of us. I was talking with a business owner recently who said that he, in his past, and his journey, has had a problem with uh, micromanaging, and actually not even micromanaging, but taking responsibility back and not trusting his staff. And that he would have this big project going, and he would give people like this really short leash, hey, try this, but then as soon as they weren't working fast enough or he didn't like what they were doing, he would pull it back and he would do it himself. And he just broke trust with all his employees and someone quit and he would fire others. And then he would, he would get to the end of this project and he would be so burned out and so angry that he would just want to fire everybody. But it was him that was the problem. He wasn't trusting people to do what they could do, to do what he had hired them to do, to do what their expertise was. And he hadn't trained them and coached them along the way. You know what you do? It's so simple. It's so simple. You, you show someone what to do. You coach them as they do it. You watch them from a distance the next time, and then you walk away, and you celebrate their wins. And if they fail, they fail, because some of you are objecting, yeah, I know, but if I trust them with that, it's going to be bad. Maybe it also might be way better than what you could do, because other people have different gifts and abilities and passions and time and bandwidth. We need to be those who look to empower other people, people to play their God-given roles. When you give away responsibility, you empower, you encourage, you show value, and you include and create community. The second character is Jethro. He's the mentor coach. He's the father-in-law. He's the one that shows up in the nick of time and says, Moses, you are killing yourself. This can't happen. And there's some of you that are in this room that are in a Jethro season of life. And I want to talk to you just for a second because you're not done yet. It's easy to think that, well, I've, I've paid my dues. I've put in my time. I've got this stuff to show for in my life. If someone really wants to ask me about it, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll drop some wisdom on them. But we need more than that from you. People around you, your family and, and the other people in your community in your life, they need more than that from you. If you would choose to be fully present and invest in what's right now, there are so many lessons that you could help other folks with. 
There are things that you have seen and failures that you have experienced that you could spare somebody from if you would lean into the present and coach them into the future and make it about them and not about you and really wanting them to win. If you're in a Jethro season of life, we need you. Even as a church, we need you. We are heading into this new arena and territory, and we need seasoned veterans to help coach younger leaders. And then the last character are the leaders that Moses empowers. The verse said, appointed them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. Those are different sized groups, if you notice, because people are wired in different ways. And some people are brilliant at leading a team of 10. And other people have the capacity and the vision and the ability to lead 1,000 or more. You know what? Those people are the same in that one is not more valuable than the other. In fact, the quantity of influence that you have or that you will have has no it, it does not determine your worth in the least bit. It just simply points to how you're wired and all of it we need. And so Moses empowers and these men and these women step up and they step in and they serve and they figure out their range and their rhythm, their range in terms of are they a 10-person group type of leader? Are they a 50? Are they a 100? Are they more than that? And then their rhythm. How do they operate and how do they serve in this context so that they don't burn out and flame out like Moses is on his way to? Because it can become just as unhealthy for them if they get out of balance. So to those of you who are here and are in our church and have still been, you're just kind of going through the motions or sitting on the sidelines in life, would you look and see if there's a way that you can step in and lead some people, that you can serve some people? It might be in your neighborhood. It might be in your workplace. It might be coaching a team. It might be taking that next promotion instead of being scared of it. It might be coming alongside someone else. It could look so many different ways. Just in our church, we need you. This is a church that has grown really fast. And we need more of you to step up and to step in and to say, I can help. I can help in this way. I have this kind of capacity. I can serve in this manner. I can jump in. I can be used. I can help carry this burden so that the staff, the leadership, the elders, these people don't have to carry it all. You have the luxury of showing up and things have been set up since 6 a.m. and all that kind of stuff. But you could say, I know that that doesn't just happen. I can play a role. I can do this. Or I, 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 can, I can respond to the fact that God has been kind of like stirring in me this idea that I just can't shake. I've seen this need out in the community and I think I need to do something about it. And you can talk to someone about what that might look like. We need you to do what you can do. I wanted to invite up Chris. Chris Selby leads our prayer ministry here at this church, and I wanted her to share her story. We please welcome Chris. I didn't want you screwing around, uh, getting distracted, Chris. Might trip and hurt myself. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. 
I grew up in a Christian home where um, God and church had been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And both my parents served regularly and faithfully in church. But for some reason, even seeing them serve all those years, it was not a priority in my own life. Um, the Lord blessed me with a successful career in the financial industry, so I was able to tithe and give to my church. It's easy to write a check on Sunday, but when it came to my time and my talents, they pretty much were my own, and it was all about me. My husband had a major career change that required us to move to San Francisco after 17 years of calling Seattle our home. I had found a new job. I had to find a new job, a new church community, just the whole new thing. And in the transition, I found myself lonely, depressed, and unemployed, and with a lot of time on my hands. I had no clue what I was gonna do next. And I recall my husband just saying, well, what are you passionate about? And as I thought about it, I thought, I can't think of anything. I was just like, God, what is going on here? Please stir up a new passion inside of me. I had achieved everything from a worldly perspective that would make me happy. And what I realized is that my identity had been in my job and in a false sense of happiness. With so much time on my hands, I decided that I would find ways behind the scenes to volunteer at my church. So I helped with lighting and built props for the Easter drama and the stage backdrop for the sermon series. And what I found was an instant connection to my church, the staff, and so many amazing people. It was refreshing and fulfilling. Just as I started to feel like I was at home, we made the decision to move to the East Coast, and I found myself back to square one. I struggled with finding a new church, and finally, after seven months of being on the fence over a church that met in a temporary facility, I felt like the Lord was saying, it doesn't matter where the church meets. <laughs> no church is perfect, but I am there with you no matter what, and you just need to make a commitment to me. Join this church and start serving. So that's what I did. I jumped in, and I began serving as a greeter, and God quickly connected me with new friends and a church community. I looked forward to Sundays like never before. Within months of making that decision, I walked through one of the most challenging seasons I'd ever faced in my life. And because I had made that decision to join and get plugged in and meet so many people, God had surrounded me with a community of people that just supported me and encouraged me and loved me during that time. Then in 2013, my husband and I made the decision to move back to the West, sunny Southern California. After several months of searching, we found Mariners and believed that it was a church for us. One of the many things that, was, that I was drawn to was the fact that there was a prayer team, and we just felt an instant connection to Caleb and his leadership, and this place just felt like home. I connected with Erica Goodrich and joined the greeting and the welcome teams. I think the hardest part of my transition was just going from a place where I knew everyone and, and I had such strong connections to knowing absolutely no one, but I knew that the way to make that change was to get connected, and so that is what I did. And in, in the midst of that, I was able to just share with Erica my heart for prayer, which ultimately led to my role on the prayer team. But before I came this morning, as I prayed, God just, you know, reminded me, you know, you've, he's taken me from coast to coast, and he has always been constant. And the other thing that has been constant is the church and the fact that there is a need for us to serve in the church. And one last thing, I will never forget the day that my husband said to me, wow, it is great to see you passionate about something. That was such, that was just felt like such a good thing to hear from him. And it is, it's so, it is so great to find my passion in serving. 
and just a much better sense of who I am and, and that my identity is not in other things but in Christ. So regardless of your background and your church or your church experience or whatever it is, you can find community if you join in and choose to serve. Thanks. Maybe you hear that and you're like, man, that sounds great for her, but I have no bandwidth. I am crazy busy and uh, I would like to serve, but I just can't. That might be because you're doing too much stuff. If you can't serve, not just here on a Sunday, but if you can't serve other people in your life, you're probably doing a lot of non-essential things that you shouldn't be doing that maybe you could empower someone else that would be more meaningful to them and that they would even be better at. And you can get some margin in your life to do the things that really matter. You're on a journey, just like Chris. You don't know where this journey is going to take you. You don't know what's up and what's down and what's sideways and what's the roundabout. But you can know that God is good in the middle of it. You can remember that he has been faithful through it. And you can trust that he will continue to be faithful and that you are not God and you can't do it all yourself and that we need other people. Part of that is listening to wisdom. Part of that is empowering others. And part of that is being those who step up and serve. God, Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we can trust and depend on you even when circumstances seem crazy. We know that you are good, that you are with us, and that you have good for us. Help us to respond courageously to you. In Jesus' name.